Well, I'm so glad you're here with us today. We, we are feeling the spirit move already. I just literally put my communion supplies right here and it caused this music stand to come down. I, I like literally turned and then all of a sudden it's like down. I'm like, oh man, did I break something? But anyways, we're glad you are here with us this morning. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. We want to welcome each and every one of you. If you're a first time guest, we want to extend a special welcome to you. One of the ways to make the most of our time together today is to download the Riverbend app. And on the app, you'll find a section called Sunday Essentials. And then in that area, you'll find message notes to follow today's message, as well as your next steps here at Riverbend. You'll find a connection card there. If you have yet to fill out a connection card, we would really love for you to do that so that we can do our part to follow up with you. We're glad each and every one of you is here with us today as we're continuing our series called Chasing the Wind. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. I want you to think back to your 20-year-old self, your 30-year-old self, and some of you are there right now. So then I'm going to take you back. I want you to think back to your high school self, middle school self. I want you to just think with me for a moment to who you were, the things that you did, the things that you said. And now that you know what you know, what would you tell your younger self? What advice would you give? Hey, what would you tell them about doing this and not doing that? Saying this and not saying that? Taking this risk or not taking that risk? What would you tell them? What would you tell them? I want you to just think with me for a moment. Because there's power when we can hear from a voice that's ahead of us and then to apply those learnings and those lessons from said person. There's a lot of wisdom that happens when we take our own experiences and we evaluate them, and then we come alongside others and share with them what it is we've seen and what it is that we've experienced. That takes intentionality to do on our part. But the second part is just as important, which is to receive, to receive the wisdom from those who have evaluated their experiences and applied those lessons. Now, we don't listen to every person that has a thought or an idea. We're looking for a quality of life that they're exhibiting in their character, in their competencies as they're coming after Christ. But it is on us to be teachable enough, humble enough to hear from them, right? There's so much, so much power when we can do that, when we experience that in our own lives. And I know for me, there's several lessons I would go back to tell 30-year-old, 20-year-old Joseph Filarde, you know, I would say, hey, we need to change this. We need to go this way. We need to not say that. We should do this. But here's the beautiful thing as we're in this book that we've been studying, Ecclesiastes, we have that opportunity for ourselves to listen to somebody who had everything, who had wisdom beyond measure, who had wealth, who had fame. And here's what is interesting about this person who wrote Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, he's older in life when he's written this book and sharing these learnings. But the other part of this is even though he had all the wisdom that God had granted him, he at times chose to go his own way and not follow God's wisdom. He chose to follow his own wisdom versus God's wisdom. And that's an important lesson for us to learn as well, to hear what it is that Solomon has to say. Because as we read Ecclesiastes, it sounds like he's in a crisis. 
And in, in some ways he is, but it's not the way in which we would view a crisis. It's more in the sense of having clarity to what matters most and to what your life should be built on and built around and how you apply these lessons from this person who had everything, who had everything and now is looking back at his life and recognizing, hey, here's what it means to really understand what life is truly about. Instead of chasing the win that's so fleeting in these pursuits that in themselves are not wrong or bad, but cannot sustain the life of significance that we were created for. They just can't. They can't withstand the chaos of life. They can't give us an anchor in our lives so that we can have comfort as we experience all kinds of seasons in life. They come up short. And as you think about what Solomon is talking about, one of the things you can't miss as he's gotten older and as he's seen life is there's this intentionality of describing life as it's coming to an end. And he talks often about death. And one of the things I have seen as I've gotten into my 40s, there's been a lot of people who were close to me who had a parental role in my life who are no longer here. Their health is ailing. And I'm seeing that very close in my own journey as I'm watching people who I love and who have so much significance to me. And I could just go through a list in the last couple of months of people. But specifically, I want to share the story of someone who means the world to me. His name is Don Kelso. And Don Kelso just passed away a couple weeks ago. And Don Kelso is the father of one of my closest friends, who was actually a youth leader of mine. He was five years older than me. His name's Brian Kelso. But Don Kelso and Brian Kelso, his son, would influence and impact me in the ways of opening doors and opportunities for me. It was Don Kelso who sat on this board called Word of Life Bible Institute and would share with Brian about it. And Brian would say, hey, as you've become a follower of Jesus, I think this would be a good place for you to go. And little did I know what that all meant when I showed up there. I'm not the guy that read the rule book. I'm not that kind of guy. Things I would have done differently, right? I maybe should have read the fine print. But the good part of that was it opened a door for me to get exposure to the Northeast and also to meet my wife. I met my wife there as we were freshmen in, in college at Word of Life. And I remember just praying for God's will because as I met Amy, I was like, man, I think she's going to be my wife. And that is weird, like that sense. And just, you know, I didn't tell her that, but I just prayed that. You know, I, I just prayed that. I didn't want to creep her out. You know, I, I knew enough. I knew enough uh, about not creeping her out in that way and, and making everything known. But this family was instrumental in that, that way. This family was instrumental in allowing me to experience their family life as they lived in Florida. And I would come home. With, with Brian over the weekend as a student in high school. And I have an exposure to that. Brian would teach me how to drive. Brian's wife, Elise, her family, the Carries and the Kelsos would go on to pay for my college. These business people would pour into me in this way. And as I was talking to, to Brian about his dad, because I've been checking in with him, and Brian's just a really positive, upbeat kind of guy. And so for me to have to to get to the point of him being able to be honest with me, take some work. And doesn't mean he's trying to be dishonest, but rather, you know, to share about these types of things that he's feeling and experiencing doesn't come natural for a guy like that. 
And so we've just had a lot of conversations. And one of the things he said to me about his dad, he said, the thing I appreciate about my dad is not only that he left a legacy, but that he lived a legacy. He didn't just leave a legacy for us. He didn't just leave it. He lived one that opened up doors and opportunities for us to encounter and experience Jesus and for others to do that as well. He lived with such intentionality. He was not perfect by any means, but he lived with an intentionality to his life. And as I thought about what Brian was saying, it really made me think about King Solomon as well. And as I think about this idea of uh, being someone who not only leaves a legacy, but lives a legacy, how do we go about that? And so here's a couple questions as we begin our time together. What legacy do you want to live? What legacy do you want to live? What's the kind of legacy that you want to live? A legacy that impacts others. A legacy that influences not just you, but the people around you and the generations to come. What legacy do you want to live? And then the second question is this. How can our lives become a living legacy? How can our lives become a living legacy? And oftentimes when we talk about legacy, if we're not careful, we get caught up with Hall of Fame type of status, right? We we think in those types of ways. And really what Solomon does is he really unpacks for us, no, 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 there's another way that we live that actually matters in has clarity of thought and intentionality and focus for living this type of life to saying, hey, here's how we can live a legacy. Here's how we can be people that make a mark on the lives of others. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Verses will be on the screen. You can also open up with your Bible app. We have free copies of the Bible in the hallway as well. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of that. But listen to what Solomon says. Solomon simply says this, Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of death, better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Wow, doesn't that just put you in a good mood? Uh, I mean, don't you just like listen to Solomon say those words? You're like, I don't know, you're like, I don't know if I would describe it a good mood, uh, but it fits perfectly on this rainy day, right? Where we're, where we're hearing from Solomon. But Solomon is really giving us these wise nuggets to live by about how we can live in, in intentionality and have a legacy in our lives, how we can do that. And he starts off by talking about a good name. A good name is better than fine perfume. And a good name Really, when you think about what Solomon is getting at, he's talking about the quality of who you are, your character, the the parts of you when you look at your life and all the aspects of who you are, that your life is integrated around 
the person of Jesus, that you're allowing him to touch every arena, every part of who you are, your, your mental aspects, your emotional aspects, your spiritual aspects, your financial aspects, your physical aspects. It's, he's saying, hey, listen, we want to be people who live in a way that we recognize who we belong to. And so he says, really, that a good name, a good name is better than fame. Let's say that out loud together. A good name is better than fame. It's better than being a social media influencer. It's better than even what others may think of you in the sense of getting their approval of you. It's much more about what God thinks of you and the way that you're living your life before him. How are you living your life before him? He says, hey, it's, it's better than fine perfume. And in ancient Israel, this was very expensive, this fine perfume, this fine ointment. It was very, very expensive and lucrative. And what he's saying is, hey, a good name is better than that. A good name is better than the wealthiest, the most extravagant thing you could ever buy. Who you are. Who you are before God. How you're going about your life. Being a person that's growing in your character before God. And part of the growing in your character is what Solomon goes on to say when he talks about death. He talks about the fact that there is a time and a day that's coming for us all. And what he's simply saying is not that death in itself is meant to be this place of celebration, but rather it's meant to give us perspective. It's meant to help us not to lose perspective about life, but to see life with clarity. And you know, I think about these last couple of years, and I think about all that we've seen and all that we've experienced and, and all that we're going through. And yet, I think we live in a culture, including the church, where we're afraid of emotions like mourning, frustration, and sadness. We do everything in our power to avoid feeling those things before Jesus. And yet, Jesus felt those things. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Jesus had these expressions. It's inhuman not to have these responses in the sense of looking at life. And I'm not saying you need to be an emotional person. That's not what I'm getting at, because some of us are hearing that, but I don't know if I'd really cry like that. Or That's not what I'm getting at. Rather, it's about the, the essence of our heart that we can, before a holy and righteous and loving and comforting God, come to him honestly about what it is that we're experiencing, what it is that's going on around us, and we can cry out to him. And he says, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But that requires us mourning. That requires us weeping. That requires a sadness. That requires us shedding our tears before God. That requires us, even if we're not crying physical tears, the depths of our soul before him. When I think about all the people who are passing away, it makes me cry out. Think about Don Kelso. I think about his impact. I'm sad about that. I'm sad about that. And that's okay. That's okay. I don't have to pretend I'm not. I can be honest before him with those things. But we live in a culture that says, hey, let's avoid it at all costs, and let's just turn to pleasure, delight. And again, there's a place for pleasure and delight. But not to escape the pain. I think we use it to escape pain versus recognizing, no, part of what God wants to do in building our character, a good name, 
is to take these things in our lives, this pain, this suffering, this sadness, and refine who we're becoming before him. But we often forfeit the gift that's found there when we act like we have nothing to be sad about or that there's nothing that's breaking in our heart. You know, when you think about what's going on in Ukraine, that is sad. That is heartbreaking. Man, that requires us crying out to God. And so I want you to just think about in your own life about how you view sadness, how you view it. Because again, this is a lot more about how we're coming to God and with two others who are safe people about what it is we're experiencing, feeling, and sensing. And instead of avoiding those things, what if we just leaned in before God? Instead of turning to pleasure to numb the pain away. And pleasure can be all kinds of things. Food, drink, pornography, work. You know, you just go through the list of things we do to numb. There's all kinds of numbing ways that we do it. Social media, right? We can, we can just go through it. Even activity at church, <laughs> right? Good things, right? Can cause us to miss the gift that God wants to give us in our pain. So as we think about this, a couple things I want to give to you. First of all, again, we said a good name is better than fame. But the other part of what I want to share with you is we think about this season in particular that we're in. We're in a season that's called Lent. And Lent is an opportunity for us to do what it is that King Solomon's talking about. Ash Wednesday was just this last Wednesday. No matter what you feel about this or if you celebrate this, it doesn't matter because I think there's power in us taking inventory in our lives before God and recognizing the fact that our lives are but a, but a, uh, a mist, as it says, right? We're to number our days, right? So that we can have a heart for wisdom. We want to live in this perspective. And what Lent does in this season as we're leading up to Easter, it gives us a chance before God to deepen our dependence and our trust in him and the areas that we have withhold to invite him to have access to. It says, hey God, I want in this season to trust you. And many people for 40 days give up something. They, they end up fasting, whether it's food or, or social media or whatever it is they end up doing. But I think the bigger part of this is a deeper dependence on God. And through the finished work of what Jesus has done for us and by the power of the Spirit, that we're giving him access, that we are doing what John the Baptist would talk about. When we give inventory and stock of our life, that we would practice the fruit that lead that the fruit that's produced because of repentance and what is the fruit that leads to or is displaying repentance well it's the fruit of examining what are we withholding from god and from others and giving him access to this and these could be the the sad parts of our lives these could be the the pain points these could be the things that are good that have been turned into a god thing and throughout this season i, I love our writing team because they're doing a great job of creating different writing pieces to help us even dig deeper into this season. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't been following along with what they're doing, they have great writing pieces to accompany this. So as we think about Lent, and we think about what Solomon has said, I want us to think about this part, that mourning is a sign of maturity. Mourning is a sign of maturity. Turn to your neighbor and just say, mourning is a sign of maturity. Mourning is a sign of maturity. It's a sign of maturity. This is what Solomon says. It's, it's mature to mourn. It's immature not to mourn, not to be honest with the things 
that we're experiencing, whether it's the, the loss of a loved one, whether it's a transition, and how, how about how many transitions we've been in over these last several months, right? And, and I know even some of us, we're seeing loved ones go back to the office, and we're like, oh, man, I love having them at home. You know, that's a transition for us, right? But whatever it is you're facing, I want you to know that part of mourning and, and really maturing in our ability to mourn is an act of trust in God that he cares deeply for what it is that we're experiencing and going through. Again, mourning is a sign of maturity. Mourning is a sign of maturity. And so here's a question for you. How do you mourn? How do you mourn? Do you mourn? Do you believe in mourning? Do you believe this is scriptural, biblical, human to do? I want, I'm just questioning I want you to question before God what it is that you believe about this whole area. Because as I'm talking to different people and as I'm really listening in, one of the things that you cannot escape is people are in this point in their lives, whether it's the mourning of what was and what they hoped would be or mourning that, hey, I don't know how to really integrate in this post-COVID world. You know, as we're moving forward from where we've been, people are mourning. I was actually at Deer of High School this week, and I asked the vice principal, I said, hey, what is the number one need right now for you? What's the number one need for these students? And there's a lot of things I thought she was going to say. You know, I had a list of, in my mind, okay, maybe she's going to say this. And, and her answer was, these students have experienced trauma, but they don't have the space and place to process it. And that's not what I thought she was going to say. I was like, I think you're right. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm talking to our friends at Safe Place, and we're talking about creating workshops for people to understand not only where they've been, but how do you reassimilate in a post-COVID world? Because I think many of us are still in shock, and there's a lot of anxiety, and there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of sadness. Again, how do you mourn? And I want to encourage you to be thinking about that. Do you numb it out? Do you come to God with it? Are you being honest? Are you letting safe people into those sad, sad spaces that you're experiencing? How do you mourn? Well, Solomon continues on here in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 5 through 9. He says this, It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. And so as we think about what Solomon is getting at and what he's talking about hey he says there is something about heeding the rebuke of a wise person and again not everybody's wise just fyi i think this is really important because we're like oh man every person who has a lot a thought or an opinion that means they're wise no 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 we're looking for someone who has a track record who's evaluated their experiences and applied lessons in their life right we're not just looking for someone to say, hey i'm so wise you know like no that, that's probably a good sign that they're a fool right 
If they go around telling you, hey, I'm wise, I'm wise, listen to me, listen to me, hey, you want to be mentored by me. You want to let me rebuke you on a regular basis, right? Because I'm wise. That's not, a good, that's not a good thing to do. But it is foolish, he says, not to listen to the rebuke of a wise person. Someone who's saying, because they care for us and they love us and believe in us, hey, here's an area of growth. Here's an opportunity for you to deepen your character in Christ, your competencies in Christ. This is how we, again, are able to have a living legacy. The first part of that was our name, who we're becoming. In the sense of, of a good name is, is better than fame. And then we look at it through the lens of our sadness and our pain and allowing that to deepen our character. But this other part of deepening who we're becoming is to listen to the rebukes of a wise person. And not to be a person who just listens to the songs of the fool. Because of the song of the fool, that beat sounds really good in our ears for a moment. We're like, yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, play that music for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm the man. Yes, yes. Tell me everything I want you to tell me and and tell me what I want to hear. Yes, affirm, approve everything that I'm saying. But he says, you know what it's like? It's really like the kindling, the kindling of some wood that these twigs, they're they're kindled and they make this noise. And it sounds like a, a great thing is happening, but then it just goes out. Quick burst but then it's gone. It doesn't really do what fire is intended to do. It can't withstand the elements. And this is what Solomon is getting at. And I I think it's really important that we listen to the wise, that we're not a person who turns to extortion, to use our position to gain power from somebody else, or take corruption or, or bribes or, or to be a person who is misled in those types of ways. Because in this day and age, it's so tempting. It's so tempting to, to turn a blind eye to what's right before God. Because not everybody views it as what's right in their own eyes. But he's saying, hey, there's a right way to live. There's a right way in response to who God is and what he has for you. And he says that the end of the matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better, is better than pride. You know, I know for me, as I read these, these verses, I'm not the guy that's usually marked for being patient in processes. I'm just not. I'm like, hey, here's where we are. Here's where I want to go. Everything in between, that's important. Someone else will get that. But I just want to go. Like, I'm ready to go. But I'm learning, I'm learning that he's right on, right? The, the end of it is, is better than the beginning of it, but it's important to allow ourselves to lean in to whatever processes that we need to, to discern what it is that God is saying to us and has for us. And to not to be the person who's so quickly provoked in our spirit, whether that is we become indignant about to somebody else or we become irritated by somebody. You know, I know for me, when I'm in these types of conversations and I'm with a, a lot of process people and I've got a way I want to go, they're asking me a gazillion questions. And I'm like, oh, I thought we already discussed this. I thought we solved this. And they're like, no, 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 no. I got like 10 more questions here. And I, I have to sense in my spirit, the Lord's like, hey, just calm down. Like, relax. Relax. Just, hey, relax. And I just have to relax. Because they're not asking bad questions or wrong questions. They're helpful questions. But that's the power of recognizing what others bring to a team and to the table that I do not bring. 
But that takes maturity before the Lord. That takes nuance to not lose sight of that. But when we become impatient, whether it's someone who views things or situations or circumstances differently than I do, or whether it has to do uh, with a way in which we're not seeing things exactly the same, we have to be people who are marked with this patience. If we're going to live a legacy, if we're going to be able to come to the table with others who, again, don't see it exactly the way I see it. So as we think about this, a couple things I want to give to you. We grow in wisdom when we walk with the wise. We grow in wisdom when we walk with the wise. I want you to think about who are you walking with these days? Who are you walking with? Who are the the wise people that you're choosing to share life with? I want you to think about who are those people. Again, we grow in wisdom when we walk with the wise. That includes both being affirmed in who we are and held accountable. That includes being cheered on and challenged. We need both of those in our lives. Again, we grow in wisdom when we walk with the wise. And then as we continue on here, the second part is, do you react or respond to the rebuke of the wise? Do you get defensive? Do you just let them have it? (laughs) What's your response? Is it a reaction or a response? Again, when it comes to the rebuke of the wise, because part of having a good name is letting him mature us in how we respond to areas where people who lovingly care about us are walking with us and who have proven to be wise are saying hard things to us. Again, do you react or respond to the rebuke of the wise? Well, Solomon concludes this section here with a couple of words for us. It says this, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. You ever asked a question like that? Man, why were the old days better than these? Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Wisdom is a gift. Wisdom is a gift intended for us to not only have and to hold on to, but to pass on to others, to be intentional with our lives in that way. This is about living legacy. This is about what it is that we are intentionally about, having clarity of what matters most. And then he goes on to say this. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Interesting. So Solomon talks about the past, and he talks about the future. And he talks about coming under an understanding of this loving God who leads our lives. And that who can straighten again what he has made crooked is really understanding God's magnitude and power, his majesty, his magnificence, and that he's trustworthy. But as we think about our lives and as we consider what he's talking about with the past and the future, I do think it's important for us to identify where we may be on either side of that. Because if we're going to be able 
to have a living legacy, we need to be able to be fully present in this moment with God and with others. And part of what happens when we're talking about the past and the future and we're looking at life is that there's often regret associated with it. And one of those painful emotions in our lives that we like to avoid is that of regret. We want to be like, ah, I don't want to even go there. No regrets, right? That's what everybody says, right? You know, get the tattoo, no regrets. And I understand it. I understand that the thought, but oftentimes what regrets do, if we will allow ourselves to not be identified by the regret, but rather to learn from the regret, we will grow in wisdom and we will apply it. And I came across this book that I've been reading. It's called The Power of Regret. And it's by Daniel H. Pink. And it just says how looking backwards moves us forward. And in this book, he just describes the power of not being crushed by the weight of the regret, but seeing how we can redeem the regret and apply those learnings in our lives and in our relationships to others. And he gives some really helpful tips in the midst of it. And I just wanted to briefly touch on this because I think it's important for us to know how we view regret and what we do with it. Because we don't have to stay hostage to our regrets. And sometimes we stay hostage from what it is that we've done, but we stay hostage because of the ways that we're coping with the pain of that regret. And I want you to know there's another way. Jesus wants to, to give us this life that's full and abundant and rich in Christ. And so I want you to be thinking about how you view regret. Because again, this has to do with that mourning, that sadness, the past, the future. But then I want you to think with me if you've said any of the following statements recently. I miss the good old days. I miss the good old days. I want you to think if that's maybe your, your statement right now. I miss the good old days. Or maybe this is you. Let's get back to the things, the way, excuse me, let's get back to the way things were. Let's get back to the way things were. Let's, let's get back. Miss the good old days, let's get back. Maybe this is you. I guess this is the new normal. I guess this is the new normal. It's kind of like this resignation. I guess this is it. This is the new normal. Maybe this is you. We can't move forward until we have the full picture. We can't take any step until we have the full picture. We can't move forward until we have the full picture. Or maybe this is you. I can't live fully present because I'm so future focused. I can't live fully present because I'm so future focused. And Solomon says if you live in the past, the good old days, or you project out into the future because no one can know the future, you miss the gift of today and you miss trusting God to not only provide and to meet your needs for this day, but to give you the wisdom and the foresight to know what's next. And so a better question, a better way to look at it, the, be- the wiser question to ask is this, God, what is the new and next you are up to? God, what is the new and next you are up to? Because God is always up to something new and next. And sometimes the new is returning us back to the way things were intended as we look at the New Testament scriptures, right? His church, right? Like a lot of times we're not, hey, I got to do something new for the church per se, but we need to get back to the way it was intended. But I want you to think about 
what is the new and next God's up to? And to be wise enough to pray this, to be a person who trusts Him enough to show you. And then to follow Him. Follow Him with what He has for you. Which leads us to this prayer. Jesus, show me the new and next that you are up to. Please give me the courage to follow. Please give me the courage to follow. Because again, Solomon says, it's not wise to live in the past or the future, but to be in the moment with God and let Him lead us as we go forward. That He wants to show us the way forward. And as we look at that, and as we look at what it is that Jesus has provided for each and every one of us, we know as we come after Him, as we come after Him, as we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, that all these things will be added unto us. That He's going to meet our needs, but He's also going to give us clarity to what He's calling us to as well. And this is good news for us, because what this doesn't mean is that we're not to have a holy discontent, or that we're not to have an angst about something. No, 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 no. It's about coming to Him, though, with it. It's about not trying to make something happen, but believing that He's at work. And right now, more than ever, I see that He's at work. But yet, I don't know fully what that is going to look like and what He's leading, but I can trust that He's at work. I can trust that He's at work. And so I want to invite you to make this your prayer over these next couple of weeks. Jesus, show me the new and next that you are up to. Please give me the courage to follow. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we love you so much and we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for the fact that you deeply, deeply, deeply care for us, God. And we pray more than ever we will be responsive to your love for us. And so, God, we're grateful that we can cry out to you. I pray, God, that you would help us to be men and women in responding to who you are, Jesus, your finished work on our behalf, that we would live lives with intentionality and focus, that we would constantly be reminded of the resurrected Jesus, the one who's conquered sin and death, the one who's made a way, the one in response to him, that we get to live a life with such clarity, intentionality, and focus. Lord, help us. Help us, Father. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be the men and women you have called us to do, to be, Lord, and what it is you've called us to do. And Lord, I don't know all that you're up to, but I know you're doing something new and next, and I want to join you in that. We want to join you in that. Help us to have the courage and the confidence to follow you, even when we don't see everything laid out perfectly. Help us to have a spirit of discernment and wisdom, Father. Lord, your church here in America more than ever I'm just grieved, Father, by how we have sacrificed your intervention for us in the New Testament over the years. And so, Father, I pray we would repent and that you would forgive us. But more than ever, I pray that we would see our part in the story of what you're doing right now. We are your body here on earth. So help us to take our rightful place as we respond to you, Christ. Help us not to be settling for lesser, petty things that don't matter in the scheme of eternity with you. Help us, Father. Help us to do our part. And help those, Father, who are trying to figure out their next step, whether it's health-related because of COVID, or they've just for a long period of time chosen to detach from a local church. I pray that today would be the day that they would begin the process of coming back. 
and joining in what it is that you have for them. And we know that the church is not this gathering solely, Father, but that they would be intentional with their lives to engage with others, to walk this life with those who are wise. Help us, Father. Help us again to discern the new and the next you're up to. And I have the courage to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.